and welcome back to the Awfully Irish podcast. Not too bad. So today we're joined by Jed Brophy. You might know him. You might. Uh, for playing seven different characters in uh, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. And uh, there's various other parts. So, uh, yeah. Sound odd. So, good Aston. Um, you've been, you worked on The Lord of the Rings and then you worked on The Hobbit. Was working yes. on the two different trilogies, was there a different atmosphere to both of them or were they very, very similar? Um, they were very different. Lord of the Rings, no one had ever tried to shoot three massive books all at one time. And um, so, so much of that film was shot on location. Um, in comparison, there was only, like, we probably did 14 months of location work for Lord of the Rings, whereas on The Hobbit we only did eight weeks and the rest was shot in the studio. Also, um, the Lord of the Rings films were allowed to be a lot longer. Peter had a lot more um, control over the edit in terms of how long he could make those films, especially the extended editions. Whereas The Hobbit, you know, Warner Brothers, big studio, I think they had a lot more control over over the end result. One of the similarities was the um, amazing array of people that they managed to get on those films. Peter and Fran and Philippa cast really good people who also happen to be really good actors. And I think it's a real tribute that they had so many amazing theatre actors from the UK, especially. It makes a big difference when you're doing something that theatrical to have people who can do the big stuff. Um, mm. Yeah, I can't think of a casting that I probably would have done different on either of those films. Um, there was a lot more, uh, there was a lot more pranks on Lord of the Rings than there were on The Hobbit. We had Martin Freeman, so we didn't need any pranks. We just let him tell us stories. And of course, we had Jimmy Nesbitt there as well, who's a great raconteur, and Billy Connolly at times. So we just sat and listened to their stories. But very similar in terms of we had the same person at the helm, a lot of the same crew, and a lot of, you know, with Andy Circus coming in directing second unit, we had people who had been a huge part of that first film who understood the lore and the fabric of what Peter was trying to do. So. A lot the same, but very different in terms of the amount of time we spent actually on location. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I always thought because I think The Lord of the Rings is definitely in terms of it's more darker kind of where, you know, The Hobbit is more lighthearted, more of a yeah. family fun adventure, I guess. But yeah. <laughs> The Lord of the Rings, it gets very dark very quickly. It's very From, dark. Very like the, the Fellowship is, ah, it's, it's all right, but then you got to like the two towers and returning the king they're just yeah <laughs> you know yeah it's, it's intense you know it's very intense and i and i tend to think they're kind of works of art as well and andrew lesney the um the late cinematographer was creating a style of filming with a lot of plate shots and a lot of texturing which hadn't been done in fantasy before special effects um were growing as we shot so we we went back into a lot of what we called pickups but they were basically reshoots for Lord of the Rings because the technology had kind of got better. And looking back on what we'd shot, they realized that actually they could go back and reshoot it and do it better. Um, mm. but, but, but also, you know, we had, we had those massive um, battle scenes like Helm's Deep and the charge towards the Rohan charge towards um, Gondor or even the charge towards Osgiliath. No one had ever done anything like that before of that kind of, um, size and volume so mm. Lord of the Rings was breaking new ground and we quite often didn't know what we were doing making <laughs> it up as we went along whereas The Hobbit 
we'd learnt a lot from going on location how to do those big films. So it was a mo lot more settled. It's a lot of mayhem. Some days I was doing a 19-hour day in prosthetics, and the next day I'd be galloping horses all day from four o'clock in the morning. So, you know, I had so many different things to do. Whereas mm. on the hop, I just had to play Nori, which was a bit more relaxing. Mm. No, yeah, I get that. Which one do you prefer? Which do you prefer to act in? Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit? Uh, because I was part of the company in, in The Hobbit, because I was part of, uh, you, know, you know, like the, the mainstream, it was it was great being part of that group of people. Um, I made a lot of great friends on Lord of the Rings, and those people are my friends still, but the friendships that we made on The Hobbit are lifelong. We, we still stay in touch with each other. Whenever we're in each other's countries, we always come and visit. <laughs> when you're part of the company, and I think... Uh, the, the, the seven that were part of the fellowship in Lord of the Rings would, would attest to this. It was like mm -hmm. going to war. You know, that's the closest thing. It kind of formed bonds of, of steel with those people. And so although I had, um, you know, friends that I made on Lord of the Rings and a lot of acquaintances, I got to know the actors on The Hobbit a lot better because I was there for 277 days working with them. Jesus. Yeah. I would like now, to imagine that, that, uh, that you, you were actually very close with, like, most of the guys in the company and, like, just saying that like, the, the, the people in the fellowship, like, I, I would presume because they've spent probably loads of time, yeah, you know, years together and then they're very well associated with one another, that they just yeah. be very close, you know? Yeah. yeah. It, I mean, there are people from Lord of the Rings I still see at conventions. I catch up with Billy Boyd a lot and I see Sean Aston quite a bit. I've seen Elijah at various gigs. Wow. Um, I, I catch up with Bernard Hill. In fact, I stayed with Bernard Hill, who played theatre in, 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 in um, the UK. But um, it's um, you know, there's not as many. Whereas on on the Hobbit, I see Graham McTavish probably every week here in New Zealand. He lives here now. Um, <laughs> I catch up with Stephen Hunter and and Peter Hamilton. I saw him just the other day. Mark Hadlow. We're actually trying to write a TV series together. Um, Dino Gorman. Do photo shoots with him. Adam Brown. So we're kind of like we haven't left. It's kind of like we're still filming in some ways because yeah. there's sort of so much in each other's lives still. And yeah. I would do anything to work with those people again. You know, if someone came up with a project where we could all go back and and uh, work in that way, I, I'd do it. Drop of a hat. It was we. You don't get to do films like this very often, where it's got such a huge fan base. People mm. love the written material so much, um, and you want to try and get it right because it means so much to so many people. And I think that's the other thing that's remarkable about these films is the fan base. We're very, very lucky that the fans are so accepting and so passionate. Yeah. yeah. No, I get that, yeah. Um, we had um, we had Stephen Hunter. We had him on the podcast. Yeah. We were chatting to him. He was he's great. great. Um, he's a good dude, eh? Yeah, we talked to other people who, who've met him great. before. Or someone, someone did like an acting course with him. Thought that was they, really they, cool. They just always have something positive like all, all, to say about him. All it's these people fun. have and these different connections. It's really fun. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, we made him do, and I was just wondering if you could do it. Could, can you name everyone in the company? Biffa Bofa Bomba, Ori Dori Nori, Balin Dwalin, um, Thorin, um, Oin and Gloin, Philly Kelly. Nice. Hello. I wrote a song, I don't know if you've seen it, Rivers of Gold, where I, I <laughs> sang a song about going off to Erebor. It's in the extended version. I could do it. I could do it. It's a rap song. 
Yeah, we want to see that rap song. Come on, do it. You want you want me to do it? Yeah. Come on, do it, do it. <laughs> Thorin Oak and Shield is coming to town. He's got this big hunk of wood. He's got a permanent frown. He's the king of the dwarves. Don't stand in his way. He's got a bee in the mountain bar during's day. Barlin and Dwalin, they're both from East Harlem. One looks like the rock, the other rocks like Stalin. Big double axe man with them of years. Here to protect him and control his fears. Oin and Gloin, they love gold coin. One's the father of Gimli, one's the son of Groin. Oin is the keeper of a history's ghosts. Oin, his brother is as deaf as a post. Philly and Killy, not like Millie Vanilli. They say their own lines, but they do sound silly. They look like dwarves, but they dance like Elvis. All blue steel then. Tilted pelvis. Gold. Rivers of gold. Lift up in the mountain, so I've been told. Gold. Rivers of gold. Lift up the mountain by the kings of old. Biff a bofa bumble. One is funny, one is somber, one is overweight, but he don't care. Biff has got a head trauma imp. Bumba empties out the sauna. Buffer just can turn up in time anywhere. Ori, Dory, Nori, what's the weird hairdo story? Do you tongue it along the way? Ori's nipptily home-knitted. Nori shiftily outfitted. Ori just can't move his face. Wags, spiders, and trolls try to stand in our way. We're the bad baker's dozen, and we will have a say. We've got weapons of sting, weapons of steel, pockets of gold. Here to take back the halls of old. Bilbo Baggins, he's from the Shire. Gandalf the wizard, he's a gun for hire. Danger of plenty getting up to that hill, and when we get there... There's a dragon to kill for that gold. Blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, because I write that song, I get to remember it. Yeah, that was kind of fun. Yeah, that's going to become um, a clip. That's, that's going to be great. Yeah. I, wrote, uh, I wrote, uh, wrote all the music for it and recorded it. And then uh, it was just for the rap party. And then one of the behind-the-scenes people heard me singing it to Martin. And so they filmed bits of it. And then Warner's got involved and they actually own the song now. But, um, so you can demonetize. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm never dwarven recorded ro ro uh, dwarven rock star. <laughs> you know, I would have never believed that I, <laughs> you know, we started this what two or three months ago. You told me that <laughs> Nori on here wrapping all the doors up. Yeah, yeah, it's mad, it's impressive. Thank you so much for that. I'm never yeah. going to forget this moment. No, it's mad. I could tell my grandkids about this. Excellent. Have you um, have you read all the books by Tolkien? Yeah, I've read a lot of them. I haven't read all of the, um, you know, the untold stories. But I, I read the Silmarillion, and I read it kind of every year because it's so confusing. Um, I read Lord of the Rings as a very young man. I was probably too young, maybe seven or eight years old. And The Hobbit a couple of years later. Mm. I used to. I grew up on a sheep farm, a big sheep and cattle farm, um, and I used to ride around the hills thinking I was Aragorn, and that all the sheep were orcs. But I never imagined, like everybody, never imagined that they'd make them into films. Yeah, I've just read um, uh, the one about Hurin. Uh, I can't remember what it's called now, actually. But, I've, yeah, I've read a few of the, and, and I read um, some of his early work, uh, Leaf by Niggle, um, and The Christmas Stories. So, yeah, I have, actually. I have I have read quite a lot of his stuff. Mm -hmm. He was a great author. It's, it's mad to see what his, what his, you know, what his books have become this massive, and it's a massive fan-based yeah. franchise. It's Yeah, it's incredible. Um, it is, yeah. Stephen Hunter said to us he doesn't get recognised all that much. No. Um, because like he had heavy, heavy prosthetics. Yeah. Prosthetics. Yeah. Like makeup. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
thought I said that really wrong. Um, do you get recognised very often? I, I do here in New Zealand because I've done a lot of theatre and I've done a little bit of TV. Um, in Germany, because I've been to Germany probably 14 or 15 times going to conventions there, I've been stopped stopped in the street in Los Angeles a couple of times and in the airport. Cool. But not often. People think they know me, but they're not quite sure what it's from. Um, but yeah, in this country, certainly because, you know, I've been working in the industry here for 33 years and you sort of can't get away with people not knowing who you are. But unless you're an all black in New Zealand, no one really treats you like you're anyone. Um, they just go, <laughs> oh, yeah, you're that guy. You did that thing. Yeah, good. And that's about it. Um, Don't like the all black <laughs> one here. You're like, no, our big, you're you're like the biggest competitor in rugby for us, you know. Yeah. I mean, how did you? Where did you come in the Rugby World Cup in Japan? Did you win or? No. No. <laughs> no we got Wales. knocked out by we got knocked out by England, which oh, was shame. we still we still haven't come to terms with that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a, a year on, we're still grieving. In fact, I, I may have to go. Japan, it's, you know, it's pretty shit. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's, rugby's all been outside of Gaelic, England but like Gaelic kind of worldwide. Yeah, we were, we were third. Oh, we beat wow. Wales in the in the um, uh, playoff for third and fourth, I think. Oh wow, good on you. One of the best things when we were shooting in the Hobbit is the um, the World Cup was on here, and the entire Irish team came on set <laughs> and had a look around. I think oh, wow. Jimmy Nesbitt must have got hold of them somehow and uh, uh big boys man I and mean, we we're all in these big fat suits rocking around thinking we're pretty big but those guys were huge yeah massive. those lads are beasts mm. they're unstoppable mm. yeah rugby yeah. it's a it's a mad sport and that, that's what you want in that sport though you want lads who are built like tanks mm. yeah 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 a lot of the um a lot of the big uh, big guys who played the Urukai and Lord of the Rings, a lot of those guys are rugby players, really? rugby players and league players. You know, to have the size to be to be that big. Um, As you saw one yesterday, I did some auditions for a series of ads, and there was a guy that came in who was an Urukai, and he would have been six foot six and you know, eighteen stone. He hasn't changed. Wow. So I'm, remember running over the top of you with a horse, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, we smash those guys. We get a horse to drop its shoulder. They do a flying change from a canter and they drop their shoulder and you can punch someone 30 feet in the air before they hit the ground. We had a lot of fun <laughs> doing that. <laughs> I've seen all the gag reels from the Lord of the Rings. I think the best one has to be when, uh, oh, I don't know, isn't it? the guy who plays Aragon didn't like kick a... Uh, Kick some piece of metal and didn't he like break his toe? Kicked, yeah. Kicked a helmet, broke his toe. And it's in the scene, he drops down on his knees and it looks mm. like he's grieving, but he's broken his toe. Oh, the, best, the best part about that is the next day, because that same day Orlando had fallen off the horse and cracked a rib. Oh, and Jesus. the next day they were doing all the running. So Vigo was running with a broken toe, Orlando was running with a broken rib. And Brett Beatty, who was. John Rhys Davies double as Gimli. He had a wrenched knee, so they're all injured, running all around the country. <laughs> That's rough. I mean, it's That's funny rough. now, but not at the time. Yeah, you wouldn't be having the best times. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, I always think I always quote. I think the most quotable thing I ever say is, or I just love the line. Do you know, at the very end of the Lord, well, not the very end, but like near the end of it, where Gimli and Legolas 
it's like I know it's, it's very weird, but like despite their differences, they come like they're friends. Yeah, like they're they're meant to hate each other going up their elves mm. and dwarves, you know, and that's because of mainly because of the Hobbit films. They don't really like each other, is it? Because of all the history there with the the yeah. mountain and you know all that kind of gold and stuff. Yeah, it e- just shows you how well. Even further back, um, there was a king. There was a slaying of um, Fingal Greybeard, who was the Elven king of of um, Dorian. Mm. Uh, um, they they killed him in his own chambers. They made a, a thing called the Norgrim, which was a a dwarven um, necklace, but it had one of the Simarils embedded in it. And overcome with greed, they killed him. And then the elves chased him and killed all but one dwarf, I think, that they left as a messenger. So it goes way back in terms of their enmity. Yeah. Uh, although we weren't allowed to talk about any of that um, in The Hobbit. We could only talk about stuff that was actually in the book. But it was really? great kind of knowing that enmity between as the, the pointy-eared ones, we called them. Because Norgrim is the elvish word for dwarven and it, and it means stunted ones, stunted ugly. Um, whereas in Kustal we call them the Musalafundal the pointy-eared filth. Oh, wow. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. They really like each other. <laughs> Can you speak any Elvish? And... I, I, I got... speak a bit of Kuzdol. I speak a bit of um, Dwarven. Igfried Ulsul Kazad. Feel the fire of the dwarves. And there goes some Asha Krukshul, filthy orcs. We learnt these little phrases to be able to shout out when we were attacking people. Ah, that's awesome. <laughs> that, no, that's just cool. <laughs> no, that's really cool. Yeah, dwar- Dwarvish is a, it's, um, it's quite a guttural language. It's a bit, it's, it's got a bit Irish. of Slavic in it, I think. Um, although I, I, I'm not sure I have a bit of Viking, perhaps. I'd have to ask Tolkien and I can't do that. Um, but um, yeah, I, I've been lucky enough to speak a few made up languages. I did a series here called the Shannara Chronicles. And the guy who wrote my language, the Druid language, wrote Dothraki for Game of Thrones, and also writes Klingon. Uh-huh. But he's a he's a uh, he studied Tolkien um, and languages at Berkeley University, which you can do over there. And it's really difficult you, to try and hook it on something. Whereas Tolkien, for some reason, like talked to Liv Tyler about this, and she found Elvish quite easy to learn. So I think it's got its bases in Gaelic. Um, mm. Yeah, it's got a, it's a and I don't speak any Irish, but it is a beautiful language. Mm. Yeah. It's a it's a dying language at the moment. I think me and Jared, we were doing some research. This, uh, we were talking to this Welsh teacher, and she said that only like uh, how how much percent was it? About forty something percent of people in Wales speak Welsh. Twenty four percent of people in Wales speak Welsh. And that's and considered. She, she was really concerned, but little did she know at the time. She's a very intelligent lady, but she didn't know at the time that. Welsh is the most spoken Celtic language. Is that right? Mm. And uh, we then went to Irish and found out how many people speak Irish in Ireland. It's only 1.7%. Yeah. So wow. a, t- a tiny fraction. Yeah. The indigenous language here, today in Māori, um, it's had a bit of a resurgence in That's terms good. of a lot of young people want to learn it. Um, and it's a beautiful language. It's, it's um, completely different to any other language on the planet. But it is still spoken um, amongst a lot of the Māori people here. And so it's one of those things with languages that if you don't use it and you don't teach it, then it does just die out. People, you know, if people don't need it or they don't feel like they're attached to it in some way. But the Māori culture here is very strong. And 
it's present in everyday life with um, with advertising and also, you know, if you look at the All Blacks doing the haka, the haka has become quite popular in terms of people, you know, loving hearing it and it sends chills up the spine. There wouldn't be very many people who wouldn't be able to sing a waiata, uh, a song in Māori, because it's taught in schools. And I think I think that's sometimes you have to tell people you have to learn it to mm. keep learning rather than making it an option. Um, is it taught in your schools? It is. Good. That's, that's great. It's good. Great. Yeah. We're all for it. Like I'd love, like if my, just like for years down the line, if my kids and grandkids, that they were able to speak some Irish to keep it alive because. It's beautiful. Know, yeah. Everyone knows their kupa fucko, a few words. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's um, be great. got a friend, uh, she lives in Sweden now, but she she speaks fluent Gaelic and she sang a song and it was just like, oh, got me, Scar- man. Scottish Gaelic or Irish Gaelic, do you know? Irish Gaelic. Oh, wow. that's cool. That's, that's really awesome. Cool. Yeah. yeah. That's very cool, yeah. I remember back in primary school, I'm just thinking of this now, it was years ago though, we had to do all, I had to do this project on New Zealand and I remember a lot from it. I remember we learned about the Maori, we learned about the Hakka. Learned, is it true with the Hakka now? If one of the lads mess it up or something, they're not allowed to play for a couple of games, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's really bad form to mess the Hakka up. It's such yeah. a... It's, yeah. There's so much reverence around... You have to get permission to do it, first and foremost. Uh, that haka, um, Kamati Kamati, is written by Terapraha, who was a really staunch paramount chief. And, you know, he wrote it when he was actually hiding in a kumut pit underneath a woman who was squatting over the top of him. And it's really about, up, um, here is life, up there is death, but that's my enemy, but I'm hiding underneath a woman, and so I'm a coward. And it was kind of his him saying... I'm going to live to fight another day, but I'm not happy about it. And and, and it's um and for the for the All Blacks to be able to use that haka, they had to get permission from the entire iwi from um, Ngāti Toa to actually use it. And so to to bungle it, to not do it properly, you're not paying it reverence. You're basically saying I don't really care about the culture. That that's you know that's the that's the feeling behind it. So you get taught it like most secondary schools have their own haka. And yeah, you learn it. You learn learn how to do it properly, and 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 what it actually means. It's it's quite a big deal to be even allowed to do it. And now, of course, the the All Blacks had one written especially for them in 1996 for that tour to South Africa, where they where they won the series over there for the first time. And that's the one where they do the yeah at the end of it. And it's pretty staunch. Well, that's yes. one thing that's great about New Zealand compared to other countries that got colonized. Uh, you guys definitely adopted a lot of the culture rather than discarding it or erasing it yeah. like in a lot of places. Yeah, it's be- it was because the British Army was getting beaten up. <laughs> That's why they adopted it. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the Māori pretty much taught the rest of the world trench warfare. They had huge trenches that they built on redoubts around their par sites and the British found it very hard to actually um, conquer them. And the, the treaty, the Tiriti o Waitangi, it's called the Treaty of Waitangi, was really forged between the two nations because the British Army saw that they weren't going to, they probably weren't going to win. I mean, they did some pretty horrendous things here. Um, they did do some, you know, pretty close to genocide in some places. But they yeah. realised that actually if they tried to get along with the indigenous population here, it would be much better for them. But it's still, I mean, it's still ongoing. I've been working on a feature film, 
which is about the sacking of a small village here in 1864. And it's a story that's never been told. And, you know, there's a lot of, it's not guilt, but there's a lot of reparation that still needs to be done. Um, mm -hmm. But that conversation happens here. It doesn't happen in a lot of other countries. And you know yourselves in your own country, that's going to be, that's going to be a conversation that happens long into the future until, yeah. until we feel like there's not just an apology, but an understanding of what it actually did to the people. Yeah. Yeah, we can definitely relate as Irish people. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the atrocities that were committed here, everyone knows about them. We still talk yep. about them. And yep. we don't even have the whole country back still. But that's, yeah. you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, if you look at the, the whole, what what the British Empire did, to so many countries, the repercussions are still, you know, 200 years on, yeah. every country they colonize is still feeling those repercussions, still in the fabric of all those societies. And it's, there's yeah. never been a nation that's done more damage, probably. True. Like, obviously, we have, we have a lot of British, British listeners, like, that's not reflecting, reflecting what Britain is now, mm. and people in it now. This is a, a long time ago. It's yeah. like, way far back and it wasn't everyone again no so no, no. yeah if you're feeling a bit yeah. guilty stop and actually guilt doesn't help guilt doesn't solve the problem it's it's a okay. continuing conversation trying to make sure that we learn from those mistakes we made in the past rather than actually hanging on to them yeah like it, it's pretty destructive to hate say britain now yep. for the things yep. done in the past because everyone yep. who did them is probably dead yeah and, you know, you know yeah. we have to trade with them. We have to, they're going to take out meat and butter again, which is yes, great. Same with us, I think. Same we're, here. Yeah, we're trading. Yeah. I think our biggest export is meat, isn't it's it? Dairy. It's dairy. dairy? It's, it's beef and dairy. Yeah. Yeah. Beef, dairy, yeah. and Irish people. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, well, you're always welcome to come here. We love, you know, this country. Um, the, the indigenous population got on very well with the Irish and the Scots because a very similar culture of oral stories, mm. um, tradition of carving, you know, kells or, or traditional carvings here. And just a kind of a, the land means so much to the peoples of both countries. And I think that's why a lot of the Irish settlers, my family included, got on really well here. And um, there are parts of New Zealand that are very like Ireland. Mm. Especially the coastal, especially the coastal places. In terms of temperature, it's pretty much the same. Yeah, mm. pretty much. It. Um, yeah, I think uh, probably get more rain than we do. Yeah. Nah, not as much as you think, to be honest. It was raining a few minutes ago. Shut up, Jared. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's ra it's rained right. all week, or well, last week. It's supposed to rain all this week, and it was raining a few minutes ago. There's no excusing us. He's lying. He's lying. He's not a weatherman. He's a podcast for, for God's sake. <laughs> There's a window right here. It's live. Uh, That's what the government wants you to believe. No, no, no. <laughs> um, is, is your ancestry Irish? Did they, did they hear this? Yeah, on both on both sides, actually, on my father and my mother's side. Um, the Brophies came from a small village outside of Kilkenny called Inners Teague. From County Leash originally, though, the place oh. called Bally Brophy and County Leash. And then uh, my mother's family are Ryan's from Tipperary. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, Leash would be right beside us. We're from Offaly. Yeah. Right. We're, we're, right so we're like we're smack bang right uh, in the middle, and we're just we're just like I say, you get to Leash in about twenty five minutes if you wanted to. 
this is only up the road because we're yeah. we're nearly out out of Offaly anyway. Yeah. Different Practically countries. neighbours of where my family came from. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's very easy to track if you've Irish heritage. It's very easy to track mm. where you came so, from normally. Yeah. Unless there's some kind of weird circumstances, it's normally very easy. Weirdly, there were two William Brophys that came out on the same boat in 1861, William Charles and William John. We always thought we were related to William John, and I actually went to Kilkenny and tracked them down. And they welcomed me with open arms. Oh, Wrong family. <laughs> <laughs> I hung out with them. It was really interesting. We went to a bar, and I said, I'll have a Guinness. And they said, we have our own beer. I said, I'll have mm. a Guinness. And they said, no, we have our own beer. And they pointed out the window to the brewery. Yeah. <laughs> so I drank, I drank a lot of Kilkenny when I was there. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. No, Guinness would still be a good one. Guinness yeah. is sound. People don't like it, but, you know, it's oh, pretty good. Had my first Guinness abroad, not even in Ireland. Right. Same, actually. I had mine in Spain years ago. Is that right? Nice. Yeah. It, it's actually not as popular as you think. I, I think people get the, the common misconception that all we do is drink Guinness but to be honest I would say cider and cider, then cider's breweries like Tullamore Brewery that's only like 20 minutes down the road they make their own whiskey and then what's it right. Conor McGregor has his own like proper 12 very popular over here it's yeah. whiskeys homemade not homemade but like not Guinness basically Guinness is very popular but at the same time not as popular as people make it out to be I would say right. ciders Bulmers is a very popular cider over here it's, that people it is popular right. among Irish Americans, mm. not Irish yes. people. Yeah, that's right. So, same with um, same here on St. Patrick's Day. Obviously, St. Patrick's Day in New Zealand, people go crazy drinking Guinness, but they don't drink it for the rest of the year. I mean, I like it. I I personally um, because I don't really drink a lot, but I personally like Guinness. Um, but we have so many craft breweries here. Mm. Um, I, I drink whatever tastes good, really. Yeah, yeah. that's the way to go. Exactly, that's what it is. <laughs> my, my son, my youngest son, Sedwin, which is a Welsh name, Sedwin, he loves single malt. He loves oh. his whiskey. When he turned 21, I brought him back a 21-year-old a, um, bottle of Glen Fittage. So he he's likes expensive whiskey too, but he doesn't drink a lot of it. But Jamison's is one of his favourites. Loves Jamison's whiskey. Jamison's, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. good. good um, um, Lagermullen? Lagermullen? Lager Yeah, yeah. See, so. How do we get on to drinking? Is it Muller? This happens every podcast. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's what it's what the, it's what people you know. Lager Mullen. Is it Muller? Yeah. Do you mean? Lager Muller. Yeah. Muller. All right. Yeah. Is that just Bombers? A different name for Bombers. Could be Muller beer. No, that's uh, Lagomolla. It's a I think it's a whiskey, but I don't know how you spell it. Is that anything like it? No. no. Uh, check if there's an Irish one specifically. It might be Scottish. It could be. It's not. It's not as in Heineken. Yeah, that's like the first thing I look. I look up is is Heineken. Yeah, that's not. Bulmers, is that it? O'Hara's. No. That's no. no, a whiskey. It's a whiskey. It's a whiskey. Yeah. It's a whiskey. <laughs> Going on the full. I can't spell it though because I'm useless. <laughs> That's fine. Muller whiskey then. I'll just, cause I think we'll La Lager Muller. La I think it's Luffer. Oh, is that it there? Hey, I said he, a, is that a whiskey how there? Do you spell lag how do you spell Lager Muller? 
Whiskey. How do you spell it? L A G E R. M U L L E N. Yeah, there it is. Oh. You can't remember, can you? L A R. And where is it from? Is it Scottish or Irish? Uh, it's a Scottish whiskey, anyway. Scottish whiskey. Uh, Scottish whiskey. All right. I, I didn't realize that we had a dinner talk with a Welsh person because uh, it did two different branches of Celts, and uh, Welsh went one way, and Irish and Scottish went one way. So did Manx. And yeah, uh, yeah I didn't realize how much we had co in common with uh, Scotland. Like, if a Scottish yeah. person speaks uh, their Gaelic, you'll understand it. It's like a dialect difference, nearly. It's it's called right. a different language, but basically the same. Mm. Yeah, well, my my um my dad's mum is from Aberdeen. She she came out here with her sister when they were teenagers. So there's um we've got you know we're we're complete Caucasian mongrels here. There's Welsh on my mother's side, um so got we've got a lot of Irish, mainly Irish, bit of Scots, well actually Celtic, quite a lot Celtic of Scots blood. too. <laughs> yeah. A um, little bit of Welsh and, and some English from Swanage. Um, he was a stonemason, did all the curving around London, actually. Um, what's his name? Molem. There's actually a theatre there in Swanage named after him. So, yeah, we're, we're a complete mixture. But I know my eldest son, Riley, when he went to Ireland, he felt like he when he went to Kilkenny, he really felt like he'd sort of come home, like got this real feeling of what it was like to have that... Um, that Gaelic heritage, and I felt the same when I went there and to Scotland. I kind of felt like there was a part of me had come home, and I think a lot, a lot of, of people kids... do feel this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, it just the culture is very accepting. Uh, it is. Very friendly people. Yep. Mm. Uh, yeah. As soon as you say you're a Kiwi, they, you know, people open the doors. It's yeah, it's an amazing I... thing. We we are a much travelled country because we're sort of at the bottom of the planet and. We sort of have to travel to go and see the world, but I've always had a really, really good time going to both those countries. Mm. Like we're, we're we're full full Irish, full Irish job. So uh, don't get that same feeling, but I can imagine that's uh, that's pretty nice going back that to where the ancestors came from. Yeah, mm. you you'll find the same when you finally get to come out of lockdown and come to New Zealand because I know you will. You'll find that here too that we are a very friendly country, and I think it comes from that background of where we actually, you know, a lot of people came here to change their circumstances. They came to New Zealand to get away from the class system and to, and to get away from um, um, persecution or to get away from the famine. Yeah, famine was a big driving of Irish people out of here. Eight million yeah. people were live in Ireland when it happened. And to this day, there's only five million. That's right. Huge drop in population, still recovering. Yeah. So yeah, my my grandfather's my grandfather's forefather he came here to 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 get away from the fact that there was no work in in his teak. There was no work for a young man. Um, so he basically got on a boat and said goodbye to his family and came here, right. um, and then brought them over later on. He came here finding work, landed in Christchurch, went up to Harbour, ended up in Palmerston North, and got into doing got into real estate got into buying and selling land yeah. but over there he was just uh he was just a you know he was just a worker i don't even don't even really know what he did i think he was that's just no at the time 
with you were talking about it there with open arms to Irish people. I think the thing with Ireland, even England, even the UK, and then uh, Australia and New Zealand is that all our cultures are very, very alike. We're yeah. all very. I would America all, should be the same, but it kind of drifted in its own direction. It should, but oh, yeah, oh, we, we, we all know America. Like we, we, we you know, we, <laughs> like you know. But I think all of it for some reason just all those kind of like four, you know. Ireland, UK, New Zealand, Australia. I would always kind of group us all together for some reason. We're all kind of similar, friendly, kind of, well, not friendly, but you know what I mean? In terms of yeah. humour and use of sarcasm, we're definitely very similar. Yeah, we all say yeah. that a lot. And in funny accents, we're all perfect. Yeah. We are, Dave. It was, um, it was interesting. That was the other thing about the people coming out here from, from the UK and Ireland and Scotland to work on The Hobbit. It's just how people didn't really care that they were famous they they was they were really more interested to see if they were funny if they were friendly but the fame thing i was walking down the street with martin freeman and this woman said hey marty i love your work and he went would you like a photo and she went nah nah you're busy and he was a bit it was a bit weird to him because in in london he would not get away with people not wanting a photo mm. and he said does she not know who i am and she said yeah she just doesn't care <laughs> you know you just <laughs> You're just Martin Freeman to her. You're not Martin Freeman who's a superstar. And I talked to Elijah and Billy Boyd and Dominic Monaghan about this. There was a cafe called Eva Dixon's that they would always go and sit and have coffee. And people knew they were there, but no one ever came and bothered them. They were just like, oh, yeah, there's the hobbits all sitting there having a coffee. And that's that's um, that kind of friendliness where you leave people alone because you know they're busy is is also something that you find in your country. And in, and in Scotland, but not in London. London's, yeah. you know, I saw Crazy. a mutt getting completely mobbed there by a group of people. Mm. Uh, but you, we have a kind of a, like I say, if you're an all black, you get people running up and getting an autograph. But being in, in the film industry, people like what you do, but they're not going to bother you with it. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I think, I I think in Ireland. It's like ups and downs, I guess. Mm. Yeah. I think in Ireland, though, if you're famous, it's more, not... Uh, this is all something that said, like, you know, you, you see a famous guy and he, he owns the house right above your hill kind of stuff, you know. People say, yeah. oh, you know, I, you know, normal people would say, oh, man, I'm going to really work hard for that, you know. So I'm going to be there someday where Irish people would just say, that fucker, you know, should be mine. <laughs> no, it is an Irish thing to knock someone and to say, like, who, who do they think they are? You know. Especially when someone's going up initially, you kind of, a lot, a lot, not everyone, a lot of people will knock them. Yeah, it's unfortunate. We 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 call that the tall poppy syndrome here. Don't get above yourself. Don't think that you're anybody just because you're somebody. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> but that that's just I I obviously feel like that's kind of like somewhat of an Irish mentality. Is that <laughs> we don't really yeah. care. If, we don't care if you're famous. You know, it's just yeah. <laughs> you got more money than yeah. us. Grand. <laughs> yeah. Mm. It's good though. It keeps. Yeah, it's what it's um I would never I would never feel comfortable living in Hollywood and I've been there and had a look, but I would never want to live there. It's a very it's very plastic. But also it's that thing of everybody wants to be famous. It's a kind of a thing. You have to be a celebrity and you have to be at the right parties and you have to put up with the pepper outs in. I got I got no time for that. I got things to do. Yeah. <laughs> I guess if you want to be part of that, like power to you, try to do it. If you don't, power to you. Don't do it. Mm. Yeah. You're like you're like yeah. you, you yourself. You're like the correct level of famous. Like, where 
You've Keanu been in Reeves the... takes the bus. Like Yeah. Mm. They will catch like the him. train and still catch the bus. And... But I think growing up on a farm too, you know, growing up on the land and growing up in a small village, a little community, it's not what what you do is not as important as is how you treat other people. You know, that's a big part of this country. One of the reasons why we did so well at COVID is we didn't want to be the person who, you know, blew it for the rest of the country. That kind of means more to us than being famous or being somebody. Yeah. Um, there is a real community feel. It's only 5 million people in New Zealand, so mm. it's not a huge population. But, yeah, being a good person is an important thing here rather than being a flash person, if you know what I mean. No, I get you. I think we were, I was in, I just remember, I'm just thinking about this now, we were in religion once, and our religion teacher, who was like, he's not really like a religion teacher, he's more like a philosopher kind of, philosophy, psychology kind yeah. of dude, and yeah. we are talking about, we are having a debate about whether should they show violence, like if some guy had just been, I think, I think some guy had just been killed or something, and he was wondering, he's like, I don't want to see that on the news, why do I want to see that on the news? And the whole thing against it was is because Ireland is such a community that we're all yeah. this one little kind of family, you know, that if someone yeah. dies somewhere, we want to know about it because someone's gonna know you're going you're going to have an uncle in Galway who knows about that, or you're going yeah. to have someone on the other side of the country who sees that, they'll know him and share like this is it's just the way it is though over here. Yeah. And, it's like uh, with Dublin, like with one big city and it, you know, basically no matter what, if you go down to Dublin and you're Irish, you'll meet someone you know. Yeah. Or you, you see someone you've seen before. Mm. Our other co-host, he's in Kerry this weekend. And he's yeah. just after texting us today. He goes, remember that teacher we had one? <laughs> he's after seeing yeah. one of the teachers down in Kerry like his man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah that, I mean, that happens here. I was When I was doing that, um, the IFIT thing I was telling you about with Graham McTavish, we were down in Queenstown and um, down in Glenorchy. And guy that I'd worked with, 20 years ago, I was at a cafe, and he was like, hey, how's it going? And Graham said, oh, do you know that guy? I'm like, yeah. And he says, you know everybody in New Zealand. I'm like, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much do. It's, um, it's a, you know, you bump into people all the time, but we also bump into Kiwis all the time overseas. Mm. I was trapped from... You guys have very distinctive accents. Yeah. Yeah, and um, when you hear it and it's really broad when you're in another country, it can be quite embarrassing. Mm. Um, no. I was in I Barcelona... Like at, at, a, at a market and I heard, geez, Linda, look at this. Look at this necklace. That's really choice. I was like, oh, my God, that's some people from New Zealand. <laughs> it was so broad. It was like almost I had to move away, pretend I wasn't a Kiwi. I wasn't associated with them. Yeah, I'm pretty sure if I was on holidays and I heard a couple of Irish lads, I'm pretty sure I'd go for a drink with them. I'd, like, yeah. I'd, say, I'd say, what's the crack? I'd say, I'd say something Irish, see if they know. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> see if they're not 1.7% of people. Um. I was going to say, we, we kind of drifted off. I, I had like two, two different things I wanted to ask you about. And your, invo your involvement in King Kong. Yep. And your involvement in District 9. Yeah. Is it District both 9 those again? things were kind of because of my involvement with Peter, really. But um, mm. when it came to King Kong, Peter wanted to cast a whole lot of Kiwi theatre actors from Wellington who could make the venture boat crew but wouldn't get in the way of the. Um, lead actors that he was working with, especially the ones from um, Hollywood. Um, so a group of us that had all worked together, most of us had worked with Peter on other projects. We were just contacted by the casting director and asked if we would want to come and hang out for three months playing these various venture boat crew. 
Um, not particularly, you know, they didn't, not that they didn't have names, but they weren't going to be particularly featured. But in that, I decided to have an Irish accent, actually. I don't know how, if you've watched the behind the scenes, people actually thought I was from Ireland because I just, I kept it up the whole time. I was like talking like this the whole time. You know, with my, with my, not yeah, about it was pretty, it's not about it's really, it's really good. Pretty yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and it was just because Pete Did said. you say Jesus? Jesus. Uh, well, yeah. That's, that's spot on. A little bit of Kiwi, but you know, Jesus. That's spot that's on, though. That was spot on. That's better than that my dad. A lot, of, a lot of Irish people went to New York in 1933, so um, I just decided that I would make him one of those. You know, there's even a Brophy College in New York, um, 1,300 students, um, big uh, Catholic school there, started by Brother Brophy. I think he was a, I think he was a priest. Um, but there were 30... 330,000 um, uh, people from Ireland actually immigrated there in the 30s. So I thought, well, yeah, one of them probably would have been from somewhere near where I was from. Um, it was a good gig. You know, we got I got to hang out with Jack Black most days. He would um, he was also touring with Tenacious D at the time, and he would come into the green room and play songs and ask if it was funny. It was hilarious. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, he seems like a really cool dude. Just he just seems like the kind of dude that you'd go for a drink with, and sure you'd end up the entire night just you know. Yeah, yeah, he was really fun, but also all day on set he was just entertaining people. Um, and and it was a film that Peter had made when he was a young man. I think he was eleven when he made his own version of King Kong, and it was always something that he wanted to do was to make that film or remake that film. A huge fan of um, Harry Harryhausen, the, the guy that made the original King Kong and all of the creatures. And, yeah, a bit of a tribute. I, th I think it's not a bad film, actually. It's kind of fun to watch, and it was on TV just the other day. And the special effects, apart from the Brontosaurus chase, which we never could really understand why that was in there, um, <laughs> except for the Brontosaurus chase, which I still think looks a bit hokey. I think the film actually hangs together pretty well. It is a good movie, yeah. Um, are you going to go see, I think they're making a new one, aren't they? With they are. Like King, King Kong versus Godzilla, right? Yeah. That yeah, looks, I'll go and have a look. You know, mm, looks okay. right. we, yeah, all, that, we all kind of want to know who'd win, right? That, that was yeah, interesting. I mean, probably, or yeah. Yeah, probably Godzilla. I mean, I, yeah, I don't really I put know. My money, I put my money in Godzilla. That dude, like, breeds fire. I know. <laughs> Hardcore. Yeah. King Kong will have a hard time. Yeah, he, he might swing from buildings, but like, come on, it's Godzilla, bro. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was um, one of the most amazing things I was watching Naomi Watts just act with green screen. You know, she did an amazing job with something mm. that wasn't even there. A lot of the time it was just a, a stick with a ball on the end to kind of give her an eye line. I was sitting on a big green hand that they'd made. The stunties were kind of carrying around and. Yeah, all of that stuff that she did was with nothing to really react to. Although Andy Circus did, he did put the Kong head on and come on set some days when he wasn't playing his character. But yeah, it was pretty incredible. Yeah, I heard a lot of stuff about um, Ian McKellen during the shooting of The Lord of the Rings. Didn't he like go a little bit crazy shooting all the scenes by himself? Because he had to be. That was on The Hobbit. Yeah, because he had to be by himself because of all the height. Yeah, well, we had a right? full size set. A full-size set that we were on for us, and then he was in a smaller set identical on his own. They did a thing called Slave Moco, which is having two cameras slaved together shooting the same thing, that you then can overlap the film on top of each other. 
So he was having to be careful about where he was on the set so he didn't bump into us. And we were doing the same thing where we had someone being him on our set that was in right. that was just a mufti that we could that rotoscope out. But they had a series of different coloured lights for him to react to who the people were, but he's colourblind, so he couldn't tell who he was meant to be reacting to. And he was on there on his own and it was really hard. You know, he's a he's an actor who likes to work with people. And um, yeah, it was a really tough day. I know he was quite upset at lunchtime. He was like, you know, this isn't this is not me, this is not what I signed up for. I like to act with people, not just with a bunch of lights. But um, after he sort of explained it to Peter, he brought him back on our set and he did most of the scene with us and then he'd just go back and do a couple of takes in there and then come back into our set. So that he felt like he was still part of the game. Mm. It is, I mean, acting with green screen, it's, you have to use your imagination to imagine all sorts of things over there. But if you're imagining 13 different people, that's pretty tricky. Mm. What am I looking at now? You've got to commend people like Sir, like Andy Circus, who he loves that stuff, doesn't he? Like, he's a genius at it. Like he is a some genius. amazing creative minds out there. Yeah, yeah. He um he directed me in my very first motion capture job was for a PlayStation Three game called Heavenly Sword, and he came and shot that here. That was his first directing gig doing motion capture. Oh, wow! And you can they do what they call a. Uh, they bank a range of motions on your face. Most people can do about 250 different expressions. His is in the thousands. They call on the man with the rubber face because he can just incrementally move the muscles in his face so much. Um, yeah, he, I mean, the, the guy really is, there's no one on the planet that even comes close to what he can do on a yeah. motion capture stage. He's, mm. he's phenomenal. And his I'm, voice. Just, yeah. yeah. I'm a one of the characters, Schnager, my character gets his head cut off. Um, yeah, why can't we have some meat? What about them? They're fresh. And he gets his head cut off. When they did the ADR for that in London, the film was about to open in London in two days, and we were still stuck in New Zealand. So we did our voices from the scene down the telephone to him at Abbey Road, and he played all eight characters in that scene vocally. He did all the voices for the, um, for the ADR. Oh wow, that's awesome! Yeah, and, and watching him being calm, just the, the voice, the, the sounds that he got, and the expressions that he got on his face—that was that was cool. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Same and, with the and, Planet of the Apes and everything. He's oh, I love those movies. Those movies are yeah. You, you forget, eh? You forget that it's someone in a mocap suit. You're so carried away by the performance. Yeah, yeah. he did. Um, he did Gollum here at uh, my kids' school actually. He'd come up for lunch and his son left his gumboots here, so he'd come back to get them. And I said, oh, they're down at the school. And so he came down and for those hundred-odd kids, he played Gollum for an hour and a half. Just, it was hilarious. That sounds awesome. so wholesome. Yeah. That sounds so cool. Jesus, I kind of wish I went to school in New Zealand. Fuck. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and we were very lucky to have him doing second unit on The Hobbit. Um, you know, that big food fight, where Stephen Hunter swallows the egg that Jimmy throws. That's all Andy Circus directing that. So a lot of that physical stuff, the second unit stuff, was Andy. And because we were mates, but also because he had already worked on the films. And they got they got his um, riddles in the dark with Martin Freeman out of the way first so he could do that. It was great having him around because he, he, he's meticulous. He wants to get things right. He, he'll keep, like Petey, he'll keep shooting until he gets a take that he likes. So we're very lucky to have him at the helm. Hmm. District 9 um, Neil had shot the whole of District 9 
in um in Johannesburg and then he came and did some reshoots here because he wasn't sure that the stuff that they got told the entire the entire story. So he shot a series of vignettes documentary style. I was at a surf lifesaving gig up in um, Gisborne actually when I got the call and they literally said, Can you do a South African accent? And I said, Yeah, I've watched the the, the rugby channel, Victor Matfield. Oh, I listened to the rugby channel. So I just, you know, oh Victor Matfield, the Springbok um, captain. I just listened to his voice all the way from there back down to Wellington. And yeah, we did a whole day shooting monologues and they really just used the throwaway line that I made up. They looked like bronze. You can't say they don't. That's why they call bronze. And that's the only bit that ended up in the film. We kind of played out scene obviously. I wanted to check that myself real quick. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, it was good. I mean, it's um, he'd come out here to make Halo. You might know the story. Neil had come out here to make Halo, and Sony Pictures pulled it at the last minute. So he was kind of in New Zealand with no job. And Peter and Fran said to him, do you have any film projects? Have you got anything that we could sort of help you with? And he said, well, I made this short film about aliens. And they had a look, and they said, oh, we could probably try and find you some finance. And they they um, produced it, found the finance, and, you know, his career took off like that. But it was a, it was a very good story really unique to South Africa in terms of, you know, what he's talking about is kind of loosely based on how apartheid was. I mean, this is my interpretation. It might not be his, but certainly like that. You must have a very good relationship with Peter, just because you're in so many of his movies. Do you, do you two get along very well? Yeah, look, I have a great, you know, Pete's a bit like me. He's quite a private person. Um, we don't have a lot of time socially, although we, we, we did back in the day, but I know that he's very busy and I try not to bug him. One day I'm going to go and ask him for a favour and I want it to be something really good, so I'm not going to ask for a whole lot of things. But I was lucky enough to meet him early on in his filmmaking career and certainly early in mine. He'd only made two films and I got to work on that zombie movie, Brain Dead. Um, and so I got to know him back then and then was lucky enough to be in Heavenly Creatures. And Pete's one of those directors that if he likes you, um, because you've done stuff before, he'll try and find stuff for you to do because there's a shorthand when you work with people a lot. You don't have to you don't have to educate them as to how you work. And he's very into visceral actors, actors that like to throw themselves around and, and use their bodies and get stuck in. And I'm, that's me. I'm a very physical actor. So I was just really lucky to be at the right place at the right time when he was building a studio in Wellington and this is where I'm based. So, yeah, there's, there's quite a lot of luck in the industry this, in terms of who you hook up with early in your career. We're only two years apart. He's two years older than me, so similar age and similar interests. Um, and, yeah, I mean, he's he's a, yeah, he's my favourite director, without a doubt, <laughs> simply because of the, his um, attention to detail and mm. he's got a really wicked sense of humour. He's, uh, yeah. he's quite a naughty man. We were talking to Steve, and apparently he did a lot of pranks on one of the one of the company, one of the older guys. I'm not sure who it was now. It might have Mark been. Like, yes, that's exactly who it was. Didn't he get yeah. someone to bite him or something? He did. Yeah, he got Kieran Shah, who plays one of the problems. He's um, yeah. <laughs> he's done, he played one. He played was one of Frodo's um, scale doubles. Uh, yeah, that is exactly the story. Yeah, <laughs> he got him to yeah, bite him during the to bite him in Hunter's League. But he didn't film that. <laughs> But he would also say things to Mark like, oh, for God's sake, move your face, get some expressions in your face, you know, do something. But Mark, like me, had worked with Peter way back in the day, back in one of his early films, and 
if if you're one of the people that he has worked with before, he will he'll he'll give you a hard time just because it's funny. <laughs> yeah, he seems like he's just an awesome dude. And sure, his films they're, they're just great. Like to be honest, and there's very few direct. Well, there's loads of good directors, but there are very few who have the ability to make something like the Lord of the Rings or something so big like that that have you know these big massive battles like Helm's Deep and you know the last one for Frodo you know what I mean it's yeah. it's mad what he does I think, I think his true genius is surrounding himself with other people who are really really good at their job and creating like a life for the people <laughs> they want to come back to work from mm. yeah yeah he's brilliant is he? yeah and even with like the Hobbit book didn't the Hobbit book there wasn't that much he, like he had to completely make the third film out yeah. of his mind. Like yeah, like yeah. do you know what I mean? And that third yeah. film was brilliant. We Jesus. Were, we were at the rap party. We finished principal photography, and we were at the rap party when we found out that we were coming back to do a third film. We hadn't been, we weren't contracted to do that, so they had to recontract us all and and kind of you know work out what we were going to do. And people forget he was never meant to direct the film in the first place. He was. I think he was going to be making Mortal Engines back then, back in 2010, when Guillermo left. And so he kind of jumped on board with no preparation, which is something he usually needs. He loves to have lots of preparation, and he said so himself in a few interviews. Um, and it's a very thin book. It's wafer thin. It's, not, it's really about 13 dwarves and a, a hobbit and a wizard going to try and find some mountain. That's, that's the extent of, of, of the story. Mm. But, you know, it's um, for big studios those franchise films are a cash cow and they'll they'll make another one if they can they'll they'll turn up exactly. a thin two-page essay into five films if they could yeah exactly um yeah. i think i remember seeing i remember seeing the second one the desolation of Smog. i was in the cinema with my dad and i was telling jared earlier on i think it was my first experience of a cliffhanger yeah i don't think i'd ever experienced anything like quite like a cliffhanger at the very end of it where yeah where, you know, where Smog's off to the like, village, or, yeah, and yeah, so I was left in shock. Different. I was left in shock for, for how long did it take for the third one to come out? I was devastated. I yeah, was... I, know. I know. And then in the first 10 minutes of the first film, I'm like, but you could have shown it, you know? <laughs> Killed me. Killed me. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of my, there, there are two, my two favourite special effects shots in, in the history of film are Gandalf and the Balrog falling, and fighting, yes, and then Smog attacking Lake Town. I think it's just some of the some of the CGI and that is just incredible. Mm. Um, that was before I saw all the the huge battle scenes in Game of Thrones, which were like, oh my, that was just epic. Yeah. Um, but you know that they would have found it hard to do that if they hadn't have been the stuff done before. And that's that's a great thing about you know in terms of where digital and and where they where they are in the industry now here in New Zealand. It all came out of Peter wanting it. Stuff only happens in terms of inventiveness and film and technology if, if a director is brave enough to go, no, it's not good enough. We want something better. Make it happen. And that's the kind of person that, you know, Peter is. He's not the only one. I know that, you know, he's good friends with Steven Spielberg and also with James Cameron. And those three in particular are always pushing the limits of what technology can do. Yeah. Because they're all and the, I hope they don't mind me saying this, but they're all super geeks. I mean, they, they, love, yeah, they love their toys. And so it's because it's their passion that they're pushing that to happen in film. Mm. And a TV series like Game of Thrones could not have happened without probably those, those 
types of directors that were pushing um, special effects houses to, to, you know, push out the envelope, push out the boat to try and see what we can actually achieve. Um, I mean, you know, if Game of Thrones had been made 10 years ago, it would not have been the spectacle that it was. And that's mm. down to um, it's down to fantasy becoming a saleable commodity. Before Lord of the Rings won 11 Oscars as a fantasy film, fantasy was kind of something that people did, but it didn't really sell that well. Now, it's the biggest genre on the planet. Yeah, it's pretty much carrying the whole film industry at the moment. It's it's mad what it's doing for it. You know, same with like with Avengers and all that. They made massive money in the last couple of years. Like, what what yeah. the guys at Marvel are doing? They're pushing boundaries. And I was about to say, I was going to ask you, yeah, like. Game of Thrones must have a lot of, it must take a lot of influence from like, Lord of the Rings and, yeah, and it, it's it's very similar worlds. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's they like, are. And I, I've sat with um with the author, um both him and Raymond E. Feast, who writes a series of fantasy novels as well, and and they're very quick to say they were influenced as authors by the the type of lore that Tolkien laid down about the types of people that live in the fantasy world. You know, like orcs and dwarves and trolls are pretty similar in, in, in whatever franchise that you see because of the work that he did creating those characterizations or those kind of characters or the kind of beasts and what the rules are. You know, and even Dungeons and Dragons, there are rules, you know, canons, I guess they're called. That A lot of that comes from the work that he did in terms of being specific about what their powers were, where they get their energy from, that kind of thing. And that's that's filtered down through not just literature, but now also into pop, popular culture. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, we, I call myself the lucky Kiwi because I was involved in all six of the Middle Earth films and I know that I'm lucky. I was just the right place, right time, happened to be in this country. Probably if I was in another country, I may not have even, may not have even got an audition. Mm. And I, and I certainly I certainly feel very you know very um, pleased to have been a part of them because it makes me want to be better. You know when you do when you work at that level at the highest level you want to continue to try and do work that actually that people see and that they love. Um, yeah. Yeah, I get that. Is there anyone else who's been in all six films? I'm just thinking. Ian. Ian. I think Ian. Yeah. Hugo. Maybe Kate. I think there's only five. I think Ian Ian was trying to work it out at the end of shooting. Um, yeah, he was great. Or maybe the only Kiwi. It's maybe me and a guy called Shane Rangi. I'm not sure if he was in all of the Hobbit films, but he was certainly in all of the Green. Did you work with Ian a lot? Like, would you have known him very well? Yeah, must be, must be an honor. Yeah, he's um. He, he calls he calls us his Kiwi family. Um, we probably saw more of. My son, my son Riley, was a scale double for a couple of the Hobbits, and my youngest son was Eldarion, who was Aragorn and Arwen's future son. But, but I just, you know, made it my job to spend time with him when he was here, and he always had a soiree at his at his house. He would have parties, which we all went to. Um, yeah, and he actually hosted a, a dinner for my eldest son before he went to Europe, and he actually went and stayed with Ian, okay. um, who was in the UK. So. Yeah, he's, he's, you know, it's like being a, watching him on set, it was like a masterclass, watching him do takes. Ian, 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 Ian Gandalf. And then Gandalf was just amazing. 
Um, and also very naughty. He's like, he likes to have fun on set. Um, but at the same time, there's a certain reverence that you have around him because he is that good. He really is an exceptional actor mm. and an exceptional human being. Yeah, he's, he's, I, I watched, I just know him from a young, young age, I know, because like, he was in all the X-Men movies and I was obsessed with those. And I just thought he was the coolest character ever playing Magneto. And then yeah. I, I watched a lot of his Shakespeare stuff. And yeah. He's, yeah, he's he's just awesome at acting, isn't yeah. he? Like, it's mad. <laughs> just yeah. Awesome dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and, you know, never put himself above anyone else either. You know, he mm. could have played the Syrian McKellen card. He could have played, I am, you know, I'm a knight. And, but he didn't ever do that. He was always just one of the gang. Um, he never put himself above anyone in terms of there was no hierarchy. And a lot of that comes from Peter being very egalitarian, Peter Jackson. Mm. But when you're, when you're lead actors, when your people at the top are just completely normal and they don't act like superstars, it kind of filters down to everyone else. Kate Blanchett was like that too. She was just completely hung out with us and just chatted mm. and sat, sat with us at lunch. And Billy Connolly was the same, Stephen Fry. All of them were just, they treated us as important as they treated themselves. So it makes you feel good when you're working on something like that where you're not kind of tiptoeing around the stars. Mm. You can just get on and, and have a laugh with them. That's I did cool. want to ask you, just because, did uh, did you get to spend much time with, uh, with Ian Ohm? A little bit, because... Um, as I said, my son said when he was also in the um, Riley was in the party scene where the kids chase after the cart, and then all those kids were on set when Ian Home was doing um, his Bilbo bag and stuff at the party. And so probably I would I was around because I was doing getting prosthetic fittings and other fittings, and yeah, we hung out with him. And he was again the most generous, incredibly kind, brilliant man, a real loss. And we got to meet him again at the um, premiere of The Hobbit in London. And he, we, I mean, he, weirdly, he remembered us all. He knew who all the people were that were talking to him. So nice catching up. And, mm. a, and, a, and, a, and a real loss. No, it was. I, I watched Hobbit and Cher. I, very young. I was young when I'm like, that guy, that guy, before, not the Hobbit, like, but the, when I watched The Lord of the Rings and I was young, that guy was Bill Will Baggins. Yeah. And then Hobbit came out and it, it, that was his story. It was just. Yeah. It was very Amazingly, Martin, very similar, not just to look at, but also the mannerisms that he managed to, I know yes. that he made it by his own, but he was also quite determined to capture some of those fussy mannerisms that Ian Holm had established for Bilbo. Mm. And I think he did a really, really good job. And, you know, you, you can sort of imagine him growing into the Ian Holm character later on. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm a big fan of Freeman's work as well, I think. Just thinking about, I was very taken back when he died, just because I was a very big fan. I think the only time, the only other time I felt I felt that way when an actor kind of died was when Alan Rickman died. Yeah, that, that was such a shock. Yeah, because he was very, he was so young as well, wasn't he? He was only so sixty-nine. Good. Oh, he was very good though. Yeah. Have you seen all the Harry Potters? Have you? Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. Huge. And then, in fact, my my prosthetic artist um, on the Hobbit, she worked on all of the, all of the Harry Potter films. Really? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's mm. kind of cool. And I've because I go to conventions, you know, these um signings where you get up and you talk about the films that you're in. I meet a lot of those people. I meet um the guy who played Percy because he's a Kiwi actually. Um and yeah. yeah, I meet a lot of them. Daniel Radcliffe was actually here shooting a film called Guns Akimbo 
yeah, uh, beginning of last year. Um, yeah, so it's, you know, you, you kind of, they're all, the stories they tell, they're all children, you know, you kind of you forget that they grew up making movies. That's what they did for their school years. It's a bit different when you're an adult and you come into the world, when you meet these young people who their entire life has been being in the Harry Potter films. Yeah. Uh, all they want to do is just be normal. <laughs> I think Rupert Grant got out of it very easily. He did, he's not very he's very off the radar now, isn't he? Yeah, uh, he, he don't really he flips houses, doesn't he? Doesn't he? I think he does. Buy yeah. mm. He was in an Ed Sheeran music video. I think that's the last time I saw him. Yeah, <laughs> he was in um, ABC Murders, which was with John Malkovich. I think it was just just oh, played here. Plays a, a detective, but that's the only thing I've seen him do. Yeah, I think yeah. He's very good in Harry Potter. I think he, that's what he kind of wanted, though, was... Yeah. I think he'd, yeah, he's very happy with quiet life kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Which, like yourself, you know, you're very... <laughs> yeah. Just, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's just a... I think growing up on a farm, I think it's that thing of work ethic. It's just a job. And as soon as you treat it like it's something other than a job, like it becomes a life thing, you've got to do it, then that way lies madness you've got to have your downtime and you've got to have your normal time as well um you know i do a lot of photography that's one of my passions i play the guitar i've got a horse that i, I bought off at the end of lord of the rings and so a lot of the other things that keep me occupied what camera do you use yeah he's one of the last of the rohan horses actually my horse he's oh, wow. there's only two or three of them left from those big gallops and he knows he's a star i see him up there talking to the other horses about the day that ian mckellen patted him <laughs> Oh, Ian McKellen patted me out, you know. He loved me. I was his favourite horse. <laughs> what uh, what camera do you use? Um, I've got a Nikon um, D7100, which is a 24-megapixel. It's a cropped frame. It's not an open frame. But I shoot most of the photos that I shoot are actually on the phone. Oh. We shot an entire... Mark Hadlow, who plays Dory, yeah. he and I, uh, we were part of a film. We shot an entire feature film in 30 hours on a um, smartphone, got into 29 festivals, won nine awards. Oh, Jesus. And, um, it's just been bought by one of the big distributors for the for um, streaming platforms. It's called Blue Moon. And so that was going from something like The Hobbit that had 5,000 cameras and, and a crew of 400 to a crew of seven, $12,000 and one iPhone. Um, <laughs> and a Moondog anamorphic lens and the Filmic Pro app that goes on it. And we knew how to use that technology because Soderbergh had just shot Insane, Insane with um, Claire Foy on exactly the same phone, the iPhone 7 Max. And, uh, yeah, you know, the, the, the lens turns it into widescreen 4K and it looks great. And as long as you've got the right lighting, you can do it. So talk about going from the sublime to the ridiculous. <laughs> I'm really impressed by uh, short films or any kind of films made in phones. Yeah. Because normally you start off with like this, this little cool phone, then they get like a lens for it, they get like loads of extra gear for it as well. Yeah, a gimbal and a... Our, we got lucky that our sound guy um, had done some big films, he's a German guy, but he kept all his sound gear. The last big film we worked on was in Glorious Bastards for Tarantino. Oh, nice. And he heard that we were making this film down in this little village and he just rocked up with his gear and did all the sound and the sound was really good. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and we, we learned it like a play. We broke the script down into six parts because we only had six nights, five hours a night to shoot it. And we literally finished with two minutes to spare. 
and I think there's only one take in the entire movie, which is take two, all the rest is just the first take that we did. That's awesome. It's good fun. And, mm. you know, I, I, I like, it was nice to do something where it was just a two, literally a two-hander, where it was just me and Mark trying to make the story work between two people. Because um, it falls back on you, it doesn't fall back on the green screen or the dragon effect or the flame bar or, you know, all the explosions. And... <laughs> I remember this one day, one day, special effects where Peter said, there's Smog, and then and there he is over there. And Martin Freeman said, he's quite a fast dragon, isn't he? He went from there to there, and he went, no, no, he's there, and he's there. And he went, yeah, that's what I'm saying. If he's there, and then he's there, that's quite fast. He said, no, that's that's how big he is. <laughs> this kind of realisation about how big the dragon was for the first time. Did you get to meet a Ben Benedict? Yeah. That was nice. Yeah. He's awesome. Him and Martin must be very, they were very close because they were shooting for Sherlock at the time, weren't they? Around the same time. So those two must have been, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, he's, he's awesome as well. It's like, <laughs> yeah, he, he took us out for drinks actually after doing the smoke thing. He took us out <laughs> that night. What drinks. a guy. Yeah. Very cool dude. He was also in the country when um, Nick Pegg, Simon, Nick Frost, Simon Pegg and Edgar were here showing World's End. They had the oh. world premiere here in Wellington and at the Embassy Theatre where Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit premiered. And Benedict came to that. And it was like, looking around the room, it was like a who's who of British film and television. <laughs> you know, it's wow. like everybody was there. And then a whole bunch of Kiwis, these interlopers. I'm, I'm, a, we're, I'm a massive fan. I think we both are, we're a massive fan of the Cornetto trilogy and pretty much anything I can Yeah. <laughs> we, what's it called? I posted something on Twitter ages this is about a couple of weeks ago i tagged edgar right and i said i said uh, i'm thinking about doing the egg uh the the golden mile i was like uh, you and edgar right and he responded to call him after covid <laughs> he's, yeah. he's an awesome dude uh, <laughs> i love we'll give you a shout as well <laughs> yeah i met them years ago at a horror convention for um we were there tim Baum and i the lead and brain dead were there and they were there showing sean of the dead mm. And they said, we sort of got talking to them, and they said that they'd made Shaun of the Dead sort of as a tribute to films like Day of the Dead and Peter Jackson's Brain Dead. And when they came out here showing World's End, he said that you played my favourite zombie of all time in a, in a zombie movie. And I was, it was like, made my career. It was like, yay, I'm somebody's favourite zombie. <laughs> I can die happy now. <laughs> yeah, no, those films are great. Um, I think we'll finish up pretty soon, but... Uh... I just got a question for you. Um, this is kind of like a new thing we're doing, but uh, yeah. Do you have a book list? A book list? Book it. Book it list, you know? Uh, yeah, things, I do. We're going to like three, yeah. th- we're going to start asking like most of our guests now, what, what are three things like you, that are on your bucket list that you'd like to do? I'd really like to go to Antarctica. It's pretty close. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to go to Antarctica during the summertime and, you know, be down on that frozen landscape and see what that's like. Mm. That would be awesome. Um, be cool. I'd love to play drums um, and a proper rock and roll band. That would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I play the drums. I have a drum kit. I My dad was a drummer. And I play with little bands around here. But to be, you know, if I had my time over, I'd be a drummer in a rock and roll band. Awesome. <laughs> and I, also I'd like to do... Um, that great horse race that Hidalgo is kind of based on where they go, they 
ride right across the Arabian Peninsula to the sea. Mm -hmm. I think that would be really cool. Those are the three things, if I could, I would do. Well, that's just a super book of this. Thank you so much for sharing it. You're <laughs> yeah, man, it's been it's been awesome having you on. Like, <laughs> oh man, it's been great. <laughs> it's been good, good, good fun. Let's have a few yeah. silly chats. I got to put on sunglasses and you get a wrap. So yeah, that was, that was fucking awesome. <laughs> that was that was pretty cool. <laughs> anyway, um, awesome people guys. want to check you out. Where could they find you? You know. Um, I've got a Jedi Brophy, J-E-D-I-B-R-O-P-H-Y on Instagram. Um, at Brophy Jed on Twitter. Oh, just write me a letter. <laughs> Jed Brophy <laughs> in New Zealand, it'll get to me. <laughs> well, I just want to thank you, you know, thanks so much for coming on, man. Thanks for yeah, having a chat with us, so you know. Um, you guys are great. Anytime. <laughs> we must stay in touch, and when I come to Ireland... Gotta come and we'll go and have a we'll go and have oh, whatever pint. flavor of, other pints. of drink that we can. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it, man. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you so much for getting on. And uh, thank you for listening. Over. I, I I do intend to travel there, so mm. we'll make it happen. I can I'm, I'm definitely going go to go to New Zealand, man. I, I, I'm looking forward to it as well. Yeah, sure you get in touch. I'll show you around. Awesome. <laughs> I'm going to go visit all the sites that you know. Yeah. I can get you a, a, a proper tour of Weta where I can take you right through there. I do that occasionally for people. So do make sure if either of you ever get here that you get in touch because I'll point you in the right direction and show you some cool stuff. Awesome. I'm like, that would be pretty cool, to be honest. Yeah, that sounds awesome. <laughs> cool, guys. All right. Thanks so much. So you Thank take you care, Andy. And good luck to everyone. Thank you. Take it handy. Good luck. See you guys. See you now. See you.